Hi everyone, I'm your host, Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders, to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hey folks, welcome back to OMD Daily. This is the June 19th, 2020 episode, episode 33. And on this uh, Friday episode, I spent a lot of my day contemplating and thinking deeply on the I- the relationships and idea of valuation, return on invested capital, growth, yield margins and the margin of safety so a whole bunch of factors but i just kind of got into um kind of more of a deeper thought and a more of a daydreaming kind of scenario where i was there are various things i just kind of i took on as gospel um i think when when you first learn about investing and even when i was even you know working at at a fund there's various things you just kind of accept as being true where you know you want to invest in companies that have really good you know high returns on invested capital you want fast growing companies because who doesn't want to see compounded growth um when you look at valuations there's obviously many ways to look at it uh i personally gravitated towards the irr methodology the internal rate of return where you Essentially, I'm just looking at calculating the the owner's earnings yield, um, which is kind of what I interchangeably use as the IRR. Um, and yeah, like you also want to have businesses with high margins, high operating margins, high gross margins. These are all just things that you accept. And there's some things I think I personally felt um, I didn't fully seem to comprehend. Like there's, for me, like there's easier ones, like, gross margins okay that's very easy to comprehend you just want companies with really high gross margins it's you know you understand the economics of cogs and you know how much a company takes in gross profit and that's really like a pretty important number that's easy to grasp but i think i was i wanted to think a little deeper into return on invested capital and um like why it mattered and just kind of as a preamble, as I like I wasn't sure if I should make this into an episode. Um, mainly because I was kind of afraid, or I am kind of afraid that, as you hear my thought process, that uh, the 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 few friends who still consider me to be um, the go-to person for investment advice, etc., um, might think that I'm no longer credible and also I don't know maybe it'll damage my credibility just because I'm I might be just really asking myself very rudimentary things that everyone should know but I'm just kind of publicly <laughs> trying to figure things out as I do it um so yeah the, there's definitely a bit of insecurity for this episode so just keep that in mind and so as if I do a lot of ums and if I'm stuttering and I get into long pauses um there's it could be a a mix of me actually thinking and a mix of me kind of being afraid to actually admit something 
publicly that maybe I don't know this. And yeah, just wanted to kind of put that out there just because it's just been on my mind. Um, even as I was thinking about the topic itself, thinking, God, do I really not know this? Shouldn't I know all this? But I don't know. So anyhow, so on the matter of like return on invested capital, like I think the famous thing that Charlie Munger said was how, uh, I'm just going to paraphrase him, but the general idea is that, you know, over a long enough period of time, if you hold a business with, let's say, a return on invested capital of 20%, you should expect to receive, you know, that kind of return. Like if the business only returns 5% on uh, return on invested capital, then, you know, you shouldn't expect to earn 20% re- returns on a business over, you know, the life cycle that you hold it for. And, you know, the longer you hold it, the more likely this will come true. Um, and so I was like, okay. Um, I always understood that, but it made me think about, well, then what, what would be the relationship between IRRs and return on invested capital? Um, like I understand the return i i think the i understand the return of uh, sorry i understand the relationship between irr and growth because if we the combination of irr which is your someone could say it's your rate of return on um the actual investment the yield you get and you combine growth you result with what you quote unquote could call it like the expected return you should have to uh, you should have for the investment and so if you know, if my so the way I consider opportunity cost, expected return, and discount rates are all kind of similar. Um, that's how I consider discount rate. It's kind of what I expect to return on a business. And if I had some, if I considered my opportunity cost to be like fifteen percent, and that's the you know what I expect to earn on any kind of investment I make, then that would be the number I use, and that's my expected return. And if the business returns an IRR of let's say seven percent, then I should expect a growth of eight percent to make up to that fifteen percent, and then it it goes into the idea of thinking about well, then is the eight percent growth reasonable? Is does the market supported? Does the business position supported? And all that, and that would be growth for technically the owner's earnings, but sometimes as a company constantly reinvests into the business, uh, that can be sometimes difficult to calculate. So then uh, I would mainly also be considering, well, I would expect the top line to at least grow by 8% um, because if that grows and it trickles through, um, I would expect it to hit owner's earnings. And obviously if, you know, you have this kind of fixed asset base and you hit kind of the economies of scale that you can't expect from particularly fast compounding businesses and you could see owners earnings grow even further so me that could even be a way of i guess kind of downplaying like underestimating the potential growth capacity um but yeah like, but for me it was still okay well how does return and invested capital play into all this like um i think at least for one thing the return on invested capital probably does isn't as important for a company that just no longer grows because in one form if the business no longer grows then really the irr you get is kind of just what that's it 
Like, what else are you going to use that money for? You, the company no longer has an avenue for growth. It no longer grows. So then the prudent management will just return all um, cash flow, free cash flow, the owner's earnings to the owners. So the IRR would essentially, if you had an IRR of 8% on a business that just no longer grows, just not possible, then you should expect a dividend of 8%, kind of like a bond. So then the ROIC would matter for companies that continues that have the ability to grow, that have the ability to reinvest their capital over time, whether it's you know reinvesting directly into the company for organic growth or you know external measures like M&A, for example. So one way I think ROIC matters is when you start comparing um, investments. So I guess one way it would matter is if you know there's company A that returns thirty percent return invested capital versus company B that has 50% return invested capital. And, you know, probably you'd want to, you'd lean more favorably to the business that returned more, more in ROIC. So company B that has 50%. Um, now I think the probably, probably the more accurate measure, which uh, would be return on incremental invested capital, because in, in one way, Return on invested capital is still a historic number, and it's more so, well, if the business were to reinvest the free cash flow it has right now, the owner's earnings, into the business, then there is no guarantee that they will be able to reinvest it at a historically high, the historically same high rate that they had before. So then the bigger question is, what were the incremental invested ca- uh, returns on invested capital, which it's really hard to calculate. Uh, I don't know if many firms that are able to do that without um, all the kind of private information that companies keep. I think one way to get insight would be if, you know, companies shared the IRR for new uh, customer acquisition. Like it could, you know, one can argue that it's the more refined version of the LTV to CAC ratio um, and for me, the company that comes to mind is Trupanion, who seem, who has a management team that continuously showcases this value. And I think that can actually be very powerful because then you actually kind of get a better idea of whether the business can truly reinvest at a high rate um, going forward. But yeah, so I guess when you look at return on invested capital, you're, you're in essence looking at the historical execution and also the stability Um I guess by looking at the stability of the return on invested capital, or maybe if you see an increase and you can kind of grasp that, oh, maybe they're doing something better. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's also kind of a way of uh, historically looking at as a proxy to comp- the company and management's ability. Like I think one of the mental models, if I consider that they teach you is like, oh yeah, like if, you know the the easy easy ones are like yeah look look for c- companies with high return on invested capital and people use it as a way to identify that yeah then this might you know insinuate the existence of a moat in, um, for the company because look they're returning high invest return on invested capital and if you don't have a competitive advantage then well how can you do that mm, well there are many cases where I think because accounting is kind of outdated in modern kind of digital companies that may not be the case because you could still have a company that returns a returns um high roic that has high roic but they might not have a sustainable competitive position they might seem to 
have some kind of advantage now, but we don't know how sustainable that is. So I guess that is something that, that um, you can get a better idea of. I guess if you can look at it from like a long enough time frame, like 10 years instead of like three years, for example. But yeah, it's, so how does it still compare when you, when I think, um, how does it all play together? Like the IRR, because um, the IRR is based on the historic number because it's telling me the yield that it had over the year. And I'm looking at the ROIC, which is also based on historic investments the company's made. Um, but I'm using those to gain a kind of com comfortability, assessing reasonableness of future growth that I'm forecasting to meet my expected return on an investment. Because I'm, I'm thinking that the company will use, let's say if we use 2019 numbers, if the company will use um, the owner earnings that it earned from 2019 to reinvest it, um, considering what they had as an as our ROIC over from 2019 and before, that it will some it will do, it will create a kind of growth in 2020, 2021, onwards. So I think the big thing I was curious on is if if I had a business that had 50%. ROIC, you know, it's returning on very high uh, on its invested capital, but the IRR was three percent, and you know the IRR will shift based on the market valuation. So that's where the external world uh, comes into play, where business fundamentals uh, gets impacted by the market. To get a fifteen percent expected return, I would be considering a growth of twelve percent, and I would have to factor in a lot of things to assess its reasonability considering that I've put in a 12% growth. So then I'm assuming various kinds of competitive advantages, you know, how strong is the mode? How sustainable is it? Does the market exist? Can a market even, you know, give way to the company growing 12% every, you know, at least 12% every year? Does management indicate the ability to execute um, historically? And so how does return on invested capital play into this? Because I'm assuming that, yeah, like they'll reinvest at a high clip. But what kind of certainty do I get in my valuation? I think that's the big thing where how do I know there is any kind of margin of safety? Because I think the like there's if I think about an easier um, example, it would be, you know, let's say this, you know, this company A has solid competitive advantages, solid market position, you know, market, the industry it's in is still kind of growing. Um, let's say the IRR is at 15%, like given the market pricing and what the owner's yield is, I get a 15% IRR and the return on invested capital is 15, has been 15% for the last like 10 years. And maybe, you know, future growth might be 10% at best, you know, that'd be on like the high end. Um, but it could be 
you know, maybe three percent, maybe more reasonably. And that and that's a pretty solid company, right? Because it's returning, you know, fifteen percent return invested capital, and it's already yielding fifteen percent. And it's if my expected um, return is fifteen percent, one could say that well, I'm actually getting. Um, a margin of safety on the business because I don't have to factor in any growth and I believe I'll be getting a yield of 15% and the company um, has historically returned 15% on its invested capital. So in one way, I have a margin of safety um, because, yeah, like it, it kind of makes sense if, if it's returned at 15% on invested capital historically and it's yielding 50%, 15%, I guess... Some might actually say that I've just got it at a pre- at a fair price too, because it's not a high returning uh, business. So maybe it makes sense that it's it's yielding fifteen percent um, IRRs in the market pricing aspect. But I think that'd be like a very obvious scenario where yeah, like I can conceptually understand that yeah, there is a kind of margin of safety, and then there's all kind of business factors that would play in. Like if the competitive position is really strong and I believe this, um, their ability to return this invested capital rate would be sustainable going forward, yeah. But the thing that I wanted to think further about um, was the non-obvious way of looking at margin of safety. Um, because I think, and I think this is just a part of me that um, might be, just trying to make sense of things that people say doesn't make sense. So I think a large part of the finance world, like if, if they saw a company that had a really high return on invested capital at 50% and it, it only yielded 3% and it, it has a very strong uh, competitive advantage, many might say that you don't really have a margin of safety in this in- investment. And in... In the traditional sense, no. Like if I compare it to the example I gave earlier, yeah. Like compared to the business that yields, you know, an IRR fifteen percent, yeah. It, by that definition, it doesn't. But what if it does? Like the, a margin of safety is essentially a, a way of just capping like the downside. So yeah, this is kind of how this whole kind of thought process started because I wanted to think about. Well, maybe it maybe it actually does have a margin of safety because, well, it's kind of more looking at the inverse where the example that I gave where the company has uh, ROIC of 15% and it has an IRR of 15%, um, it seems like it has a margin of safety, but those are extremely easily quantifiable in, in some way. And I always feel like if it's easily quantifiable, then it can be arbitraged away pretty quickly. Now... You know, Jim Simons and Renaissance uh, Technologies, kind of, you know, they, they've obviously shown that you can be a quant and do extremely well. But I think they have, ex- I personally believe that they're extre- extremely smart and they have so many different ways of looking at things. But this kind of very obvious way of looking at the company, I just feel um, like I'm not saying it won't work. It probably will work. But yeah, like it makes sense because it's easy to understand. But I feel like there's more ways to think about margin of safety than just the quantifiable ways. Like, like there's, 
you know, some might say the business's moat is can give a margin of safety if it has a really sturdy and solid moat. And that moat um, and the competitive position it has in potentially like a very small market, and I'm getting into kind of very niche scenarios here, I understand, but I'm, I guess I'm trying to think of ways where there are so many different factors at play um, that can determine the margin of safety of a company when you invest. And it's also, if I wanted to invest in a business, like, if I wanted to invest in a business and I, you know, I was fine with a 15% return and that was like the best I could do annually, then yeah, maybe the first way of thinking about margin of safety works. But what if that's not good enough for me? And, you know, like, yeah, like, who doesn't want returns of 30, 40% compounded annually? But let's say that's kind of what you're going for. If I want to own businesses, I will return 30, 40% annually, continuously, um, then doesn't it make sense to own a company that has a high return on invested capital? Now, there are many ways that you can have, you know, returns in a business. There can be multiple re-rating. Um, there's growth in the uh, the earnings. So I cannot, I know that there are different ways that you'll get the 30, 40% annual return, even from a company that has uh, 15%, you know, returns on invested capital. But if I were to kind of, drill in on the idea that, okay, well, I want to invest in a company that can continuously compound its value. And then for me, conceptually, it just makes sense to invest in a company that returns really high, you know, that has a high ROIC. And even if it yields 3%, and if I believe that a 12% growth, uh, growth rate is extremely reasonable, given its current position, given uh, what the market environment is like, maybe that is enough for it to even constitute a margin of safety. Like it, it might sound ridiculous to say that it, that it has a margin of safety at a 3% yield, but maybe it does, um, given how the company might actually be able to grow at 30 40% annually, um, at least with the owner's earnings, because just because the top line expands, the bottom line could actually expand further. So yeah, the, these are just kind of the thoughts I was having all day, and honestly, I made all these uh, Excel models just like playing out. Like, what happens if growth increases and ROIC stays stagnant? What happens uh, if you know margins stay, margins change, ROIC changes? You know, you continue to reinvest. Uh, what happens to ROIC when there's no more growth? Like how it declines? And I was just playing out all these scenarios uh, on Excel and also kind of in my head as well. But ultimately, I kind of came down to this idea of what if the way we looked at margin of safety is just one way, and there's many different ways to look at it, where a business that yields 3% could actually still have a high margin of safety if, if the company is in a position where it is still compounding at an extremely rapid rate um, and is able to compound that by reinvesting at an extremely high ROIC over time, in that case, wouldn't this, wouldn't that business still um, be constituted to have a, a pretty decent margin of safety, where it's actually potentially a pretty great value? I don't know the answers to that, but it's a thought I've just been continuously having, and it's become, I think, a bigger part of my investment process, where I'm now kind of looking 
thinking differently on yields as well um, and gravitating towards more of a high return on invested capital company that even though it might have a pretty low yield, if I believe the competitive position is still very powerful and I believe in the business's ability to continuously compound um, and grow and yeah, I think that's just been a different way of looking at it. I don't know. Maybe some might say that, oh, like that's a very momentum and growthy way of looking at things where you ignore value. But I don't know. I just feel like there's just many ways to skin the cat. And I'm not really concluding on any big findings, so I apologize if this might have been a waste of your time. But it was just kind of more of a thought exercise that I kind of dug into all day. And I just wanted the outlet to talk about it. So I hope this was fun. <laughs> I hope this is interesting. And yeah, if my thought is wrong in any way, um, and you can say it in a nice, constructive manner that might be really helpful in teaching me further and giving me more ideas, please write in. Uh, please reach out. I really, I really appreciate that. Um, I love it. If, I love it if people can uh, grill me on on this in a, in a nice, constructive way. If you're just gonna call me a dumbass, <laughs> um, please don't write in. Uh, I really don't like having any negative comments. So, yeah, that's it for today. Hope this was fun. Uh, hope this was a nice ramble um, that made you think differently yourself. So, yeah, other than that, have a great day and hope to have you back again on the podcast tomorrow. Take care.